to be able to think clearly under threat and under fatigue and under huge pressure is is a skill and it's a skill that you learn with experience Hi everyone, welcome to 80% Mental. I'm Dr. Pete Olushaga and this is a podcast all about the psychology of sport and performance. Uh, we're still going on with this series and I'm still on a bit of a mission to explore the psychology underpinning peak performance in a whole bunch of different performance areas. So far we've spoken to endurance athletes, motorsport athletes, strength sport athletes, coaches, singers, dancers, actors, pilots. It's been a really fascinating journey for me, trying to get to the bottom of what goes into each of these different types of performance. And I hope that you lot have enjoyed it too out there in, in listener land. Uh, you can go back and listen to all of those episodes if you want to at 80percentmental.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to like and share and comment and retweet all that good social media stuff. Um, th this episode is one that I've wanted to do for ages and I well, basically, I just haven't got around to it. Um, but for a while, I wanted to do an episode on the psychology of the fight. Now, I've done a little bit of consultancy work in boxing before. I've worked with a couple of boxers, and it really is a sport that's just like no other. It's brutal. It's violent in a way that other sports aren't. There's maybe a couple of exceptions there in terms of some of the other combat sports, but when it boils down to it, it's two people trying to hit each other until one of them can't hit back anymore. But it, <laughs> it's what it is. But it's always had and, and still has huge appeal. What is it that makes athletes want to take up a sport like this? What kind of mindset does it take to even get in the ring in the first place? What are the mental skills and strategies that might help prepare an athlete to compete in a sport like this? We're going to explore all of that and more in today's episode of 80% Mental. And I, I couldn't be more pleased to welcome my two guests this evening, who between them have an absolute ton of experience in the fight game, although in slightly different roles, which I'm hoping will make for a really interesting discussion. So without further ado, my first guest tonight is Jordan The Thrill Gill, professional boxer with a record of 27 wins in 30 fights, eight knockouts, and has held at various points in his career a Commonwealth featherweight title, a WBA international featherweight title, and a European featherweight title, which he won in one of the greatest comebacks that I've seen. Uh, Jordan Gill, welcome to 80% Mental. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. I really can't wait to, to pick your brains uh, and kind of uncover some of the, the mental aspects of the sport. Um, really looking forward to, to hearing from you tonight. My other guest is Danny Wilson, a strength and conditioning coach and co-founder of Boxing Science. Uh, Danny, welcome to 80% Mental. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having us. You, you didn't get quite as long an intro as Jordan. No, have you, have, well, have I haven't got, won any titles. <laughs> no, have you got a boxing nickname, though? I feel like you should have one as well. The Wilson Air. We'll go <laughs> with that one. <laughs> no, that's terrible. <laughs> So, Danny, uh, tell me a little bit about Boxing Science. Um, like, what's what's that all about? How did that get started? Yeah, so Boxing Science does exactly what it says on the tin. It's sports science for boxing. And, um, you know, boxing often refers to the sweet science. We focus on the physical side. So how to train an athlete to achieve their peak physical performance, optimize the training process so they get into the ring 
in peak physical condition, but also in a safe way as well, because boxing is a very dangerous sport, as you just said. So we do a range of different stuff from strength conditioning, physiology, research around pinpointing strengths and areas for improvement. We also do nutrition because a big part of the um, training process is to make weight. As you say, that Jordan, um, he's won his titles at featherweight and that's nine stone. So Mm. he'll, he'll probably tell you later on in the podcast that he was making that weight when he was 13 years old, all the way up to being 28 years old. So it's it is a challenge to to make weight. Uh, so nutrition is a big part of it, and then of course, like psychology is a great uh, a massive part, not only of uh, getting into the ring and having a fight, but also the training process because there's so many setbacks, there's so many uh, move goalposts, and it's, it's it's psychologically very tough in training camp. So hopefully, I can give you an insight into into that part of uh, psychology behind the fight. Absolutely, yeah, and I know Danny, you've got a, a ton of experience working with a, a bunch of different boxers as well as Jordan. So hopefully, you can you know bring some insight into that that mindset. Uh, fun fact: Boxing Science shares a birthday with me. Uh, I'm going to be 45 on Friday. How old's Boxing Science going to be? I mean, nine years old. Nine, so no bit, way. Yeah, so we've wow. been working in boxing for about ten and a half years now. It took yeah. me about eighteen months to uh, come up with the name Boxing Science and get a website and. <laughs> You know, we've got an online platform that is accessed all over the world um, by coaches and athletes and everything. And we're very, we're very lucky to be working with some elite fighters as well from British, European, Commonwealth and world champions as well. Well, between the two of you in this episode, I think it's going to be a, a really fascinating discussion into the psychology of the fight. So Jordan, uh, you've had some successes in your career. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, I'm sure. But you know, going right back to the beginning, what was it that made you first want to get in the ring and hit people for a living? Well, maybe not for a living, but it, it <laughs> sort of rolls on from from amateur experience. So when I was very, very young in primary school, from the age of four years old, um, I was being taken to the boxing gym. And the reason why is because I had a lot of energy at school. I was running around causing problems. The teachers said to my mom and my dad, can you do something with him? So my mom used to take me swimming before school. I'm not sure how well she taught me because I'm not the the strongest swimmer now. But after school, my dad used to take me to the boxing gym. Uh, My dad was the local amateur boxing coach after a successful amateur career that he had himself. Um... So, yeah, from the age of four, I've been knocking about in the gym. The older lads used to, you know, punch me and uh, make fun of me and, you know, work me over a little bit. And bit by bit, I got a little better, um, watched and learned, monkey see, monkey do. And um, by the age of 11, I was um, legally allowed to have my first amateur fight. So it got serious from then, from the age of 11, having my first amateur fight, Um one thing rolled onto another every year. I was boxing, you know, as, as many times as I could. I've reached seven national finals in seven years of, of being an amateur. Um, I won uh, ABA title and I won the, the national boys' clubs, so a box for England, uh, which was a big goal of mine at the time. And by the time I was 18, I thought, you know, I could have a, a good career in boxing. So 
I followed my dream and here I am a professional boxer and it's been 10 years as a pro so far so like you said I've got a wealth of experience good and bad um, in, in the professional sport. So you know kind of going back to some of those those earlier days then uh, you've been boxing since you were a kid like at what point do you think that you maybe started to realize how important the mental side of, of the sport was? Um, probably not until I was a little bit older. Um, for me, it was all fun and games, really. It was just something that I did. It was my whole life. It was just part of uh, everyday routine. And I think for me, routine is really important. And it gave me such good structure in, in my life because after school, with most people go home and play PlayStation. I was, every day I'd go to the gym. So I'd come home from school, dump my bags, go to the gym and then you know homework would probably be done when I get home and have some food and go to sleep so for me it was a routine and um, it was just fun and I just enjoyed it and it was just um, something to do and when Mm. you get to sort of competitive level not even from the start maybe from around 13 14 when I was finding myself in national finals when I was representing my country when you know I was I was in the tougher fights, in, in fights that I was expected to, to lose. That's when you sort of realise, oh, I, I need to think about what I'm doing here. And the nerves start hitting you um, and you're not quite as fearless as you was when you were 11 years old. And I think that's when it comes into play to think, right, how do I tackle this? How do I make myself, you know, unbeatable? And I think men- mentality is a, a big part of it. Danny, just to, to kind of bring you in for a second, obviously you're your strength and conditioning coach. You heard, heard Jordan there talk about sort of discovering perhaps some of the mental side of things. What what was it that drew you to, to boxing as well? Well, first of all, being 13 years old, well, I go back all the way to probably being five or six years old, a famous boxer called Prince Nazim Hamid that was an absolute superstar. Mm-hmm. He even had an annual out in 1997 don't even know whether they make annuals anymore but <laughs> not not for boxers uh, and i've got that still and uh there's photo of me with <clears throat> boxers on and with some boxing gloves and i had a little punch bag at home but my mum just put me off from boxing my mum put me off from everything really because i think she just wanted to wrap me up in cotton wool and didn't really allow me i wanted to go to boxing gym because i love yeah. the team so <laughs> i were really really keen on football um up until like probably 15 16 years old but i had a love for training very very early on um 12 13 years old i started watching the rocky films and i just wanted to train like rocky um i wanted to do um 300 sit-ups a day i wanted a six pack uh, which my shoulders and my back hasn't thanked me for in the line um and then when i was at university I didn't really know what career I wanted to go down. I didn't really have that strong vision until I saw a video of um, Alex Ariza, who's a strength and conditioning coach, one of the first ones on the scene working with Manny Pacquiao and Amir Khan. And I watched him train them. And I, I just thought that's exactly what I want to do. And that's what drew me to it. And it's uh, an exciting sport to be in. Boxers want to work hard. It's a, a sport that you've got 10, 12 weeks of training prepare for one competition. And the f- feeling on fight night, being in the changing room, going ringside, watching 
kind of your athlete that you've been working with for X amount of weeks or months or years, go and have a fight and go and achieve success. There's no bigger thrill than that. There's loads of things I could go on for the full podcast to say why I got into uh, boxing and everything like that, but it's a huge passion of mine and it's a passion of mine to kind of upskill athletes to help unlock their potential, but also upskill coaches so we have an impact on the wider boxing community. Yeah. Uh, which which is the best Rocky film? Rocky Four. It's obviously no doubt. I didn't even pause. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, why would you? It's clearly yeah. Oh, we've got three training montages. <laughs> So Jordan, Danny just talked there about, um, you know, fight night and the excitement of fight night and the preparation. Can you take me back to maybe the first competitive fight, you know, the first time you stepped in the ring? Like, what was that like for you? Is that, I, I don't know how old you would have been when you, when you had your sort of first real competitive fight. Yeah, my first competitive fight was 11 years old. Um, it was the 5th of October, 2005. Uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was... <laughs> fighting at a hotel in Bedford on a Monday night against a lad from Bedford who was unbeaten in six fights. So I was up against it. They chucked me in the deep end from the start and uh, I was just really excited. I just wanted to uh, go in and, and do what I do in the gym in, in a competitive environment. And it was back in a day before the smoking ban come in and it was a dinner show. So, you know, there's all these old blokes in suits sitting, sitting there eating a meal and smoking cigarettes. And I remember getting into the ring and there was just waves of smoke in the air and you could barely see the opponent, you know, and the, the gloves are sort of, I think I was about 36 kilograms. Um, my gloves were, you know, halfway up my arm and I won the fight. Uh, I won the fight on points and yeah come away with a victory so for me the first time I didn't really give it that much thought it was just getting in there and doing the job but I always think the first time is not the one that you get nervous always the second time because the first fight if it's a little bit hard you know what to expect in the second fight so my second fight which would maybe come a couple of weeks after was I was a little bit nervous for because oh the first one was quite hard you know and uh, I went in I think I lost my second fight as well so uh, Maybe the nerves didn't help me, but yeah, I, I think it's a thrill and it's it's exciting, especially from the age of four years old to 11-year-old, um, having that long in the gym without actually competing at, at that level, you know, was, for me was frustrating because I felt ready to fight from maybe seven or eight years old, but I had to wait and I had to buy my time. So for me, the first time was just exciting. Do, do you still feel that? Is it the same sort of nervous excitement is it the same same feeling now or is it different um it's similar but different uh, i still get excited sometimes more than others um but there's a lot of different pressures now um and there shouldn't be but i think sometimes when something becomes so important to you then you know you can build it up and and it becomes bigger than you know it, it, it maybe unhelpful uh, in the way that you approach it in, in the fact that you know if you're the the projection of your life depends on the outcome of this one night and that's quite a lot of pressure that you know people don't go into um, a job at Tesco's every day thinking that you know my performance on this till checking out these groceries <laughs> is gonna affect the you know the course of my life and and that's what you have to deal with so you know, it's not a steady job. It's not, um, there's no guarantees and it's, 
it's quite hard to deal with sometimes and it's it's a you know a far cry from being 11 years old and fighting in leisure centers and you know workmen's clubs uh, or hotels and and the result not really mattering so the, the the pressure and the the fact that your your career your livelihood kind of hinges or, or can hinge anyway on this sort of you know one hour's worth of competition like you know football are they get a chance the next week or the next game to kind of go and redeem themselves, I guess. But the, the, the pressure that you have there, you know, your, your career depends on this one thing. So that's kind of a, a huge sort of mental challenge, I guess, for you. Um, what, what are some of the other mental challenges of, of, of the sport? I think there's so many. Um, there's so many pressures and there's so many challenges. Um, one of the things that you just said is, you know, a footballer gets a shot next week or maybe midweek to to claw it back and you know boxing is a very rare sport where the ratio of training to competition is you know is massive so you at this level you might fight you know two to three times a year so all year all year round you're training and you're working working your ass off and you only get one one opportunity to to show what you're made of and there's a saying in boxing you're only as good as your last fight and you know that that plays out in your mind thinking you know you've got to perform you've got to do well to move on and and carrying up carry on going up the ladder so yeah, I think it's very important there's other challenges as well you know the the training is intense it's you know widely regarded as the toughest sport in the world physically probably mentally as well um so you have to prepare your body for those challenges you have to prepare your body to have a fist fight with somebody for 36 minutes and you know it's it's a very tough sport so you know the training uh, is very tough and that brings different challenges as well so like overtraining uh, managing your training schedule possible injuries which is you know common i don't think uh, many fighters go into a fight 100% and you know that's always because of injuries that you have to manage so that's extra pressure um yeah it's just there's there's different challenges in, in the way that your opponent was gonna um come into the fight and approach their tactics against you and um, because every fight's different no one fighter that you're gonna fight is the same and you know there's a sport where there's so many variables there's so many things that could possibly go wrong um there's you know you can't usually control whether you're going to get a cut in a fight you can't usually control whether you're going to get injured in camp you can't usually control whether your you know your hands are going to break in the first round you can't control all these things but i think it's important to control what you can control and things like making that you making sure that your nutrition is on point to to make you know a massive challenge which is making weight as easy as possible um to make sure that you refuel as as well as possible making sure that you know you train as hard as possible but not too much which is a fine balance um and you're yeah, doing everything in your power to to give you the best opportunity of winning and, and performing on the night D- danny jordan was just talking there about um the the training aspect and the kind of intense physicality of the sport the fact that you train for 10 12 weeks you, you know maybe maybe fight three times in a year you know what, what's your take on on mindset in in boxing you know you've worked with a, a ton of different fighters what kind of different things do you see in their sort of mental approach to that that 
tough physical training? Well, where do I start? Well, I'll start, <laughs> the, uh, start the fight to start off with because obviously it's something that I'm not experiencing because I've, I've never boxed. But imagine if for people that are listening, probably most people aren't, aren't boxers. Most people will have had about a handful of, of fights probably at school. But if you think about like the last kind of confrontation that you had, whether it's road rage or somebody's jumped in the queue or something like that, you get your heart pumping and you get mad and everything like that. And that's basically what a boxer can go through in terms of like somebody going across a ring wanting to take your head off. And you've got to manage so many different like kind of psychological processes as in like you've got to, you can't go mad and just go over and, and, go and try and knock them out because obviously they're going to be skilled. They're going to be able to counter you. So you've got to be in a, an emotional state where you're aroused, but not too much. You've got a certain amount of excitement and anxiety, but obviously that's not too much as well. So you don't go too much. So, and then leading up to that fight is training camp where you've got so many different things, so many different setbacks. Uh, what Jordan was saying there, control the controllables. It's something that I've said so many times to Jordan himself and to many other boxers because boxing is a sport like no other. Start of football season, you get your fixture list. You know, whether when you're home and away on certain dates. Boxing, you're constantly waiting for that fight day. So sometimes I've been in um, in the gym and I've started training camp and it's an eight-week training camp and that's gone into a six-month training camp because fight dates keep getting pushed back and everything like that. All you've got to do is kind of control what you can control and that's your nutrition, that's your uh, training and also training your uh, psychological mindset as well. Mm. Again, boxing is a sport where you've got people on Twitter saying you're only as good as your last fight or saying you're a bum or saying you're not going to win that fight, you're going to get knocked out. And I remember a certain thing with, with Jordan going into his Commonwealth title fight and uh, we're wandering about this, um, like like London, and uh, we're going to W. H. Smith's, and I go to Jordan, like, why are you going to W. H. Smith's? It's like I'm going to look at the boxing news. So he goes to the boxing news, and he looks at what the prediction is, and he's just flicking through. The next minute, he just chucks the boxing news down, and he walks off. And I go, like Jordan, what's up? He goes, they said I'm going to get knocked out in late late on in the fight and he's and he's walking is walking off is like annoyed because he thinks that basically they think that i'm not good enough but then i remember walking behind behind him and his dad going to me what do you think's gonna happen and i said it'll stop him between round seven and nine and what happened jordan round seven spot on mate round seven <laughs> so with that you've got so many external influences but you've only got to focus on the opinions that count. And that's the people that truly know you and what you're capable of. That, that's one of those things about that sport, isn't it? That everybody's got an opinion. I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of the same about a lot of sports, isn't it? But mm. everybody's got an opinion. Everybody kind of thinks that they know what you're going to do. You know, t- tell me, Jordan, how do you block out some of that noise? You know, Danny just said that he went and sort of read the magazine. Um, other athletes talk about just getting off social media altogether. Um, just kind of literally blocking everything out. What's your process for for kind of trying to stay focused and stay on track and just tune out some of that noise? 
Um, I think for me, like Danny says, the the people around you that know you well, they're the opinions that matter. They're the opinions that you listen to and the opinions, opinions that you value. So everybody else, you acknowledge it and treat it all the same. So I can go down my Twitter feed uh, before a fight and I'll have 50 people saying, oh, you're going to get knocked out, you're useless. And I'll have 50 people saying, come on, Jordan, I know you're going to do it. And I look at every comment and I acknowledge them all and I treat them exactly the same. So for me, them saying that I'm going to get knocked out and those saying that um, I'm going to do it, um, you know, it's, it's, I acknowledge it. I'm like, yeah, cool, no worries. And the people, I could probably count on my one hand, um, you know, how many people's opinion that I value in boxing. And they're the people that I listen to. But, you know, that comes with experience. It comes with, you know, going through that process and learning that way. So when I was in WH Smith, um, I read the boxing news and said, oh, it's a bit too early for Jordan. He's going to get knocked out late on. <laughs> uh, I was fuming. I was. Well, I walked out of that. I remember storming out of WH Smith thinking, I'll show them bastards. You you watch what I do to him now. And maybe in that in that instance, it might have helped me because it you know, might have put a rocket up my ass and, and give me a little bit of motivation to do a good job on him. And sometimes you need that, but you know i've learned to sort of mellow out a little bit and and you know not be a little bit not not be too hot-headed and you know i think for my style of boxing that's helpful learning from experience so you your kind of process you'll kind of actively uh maybe seek out some of that some of those opinions some of those social media opinions but your experiences taught you how to listen to the ones that matter yeah definitely yeah i think in the past I, for example the ryan Doyle fight when i won the commonwealth title you know a lot of people wrote me off and said and i, I was thinking I, I think i'm 10 times better than this fella like am i deluded so you start reading the comments thinking like to to see where you know most people were uh, thinking what the what the polls are saying you sort of judge them and you think maybe I'm maybe I am deluded, <laughs> but but deep down you, you you know. But it's sort of just looking for any bit of uh, any little bit of information you can, just to see what the the general public's thoughts are. But you know, the older you get and the more experience you get, you sort of just don't care, and you just go in and do your job, and it will be what it will be. This is 80% Mental. I'm here with Jordan Gill and Danny Wilson, uh, the Wilsonator, to give him his uh, boxing nickname that he's just given himself. Uh, and we're talking about the psychology underpinning the sport of boxing. Um, I want to come back to the the kind of real tough physical nature of some of the training. So, you know, forgetting the fight for, for a moment, just the training leading up to the fight can be like intensely uh, demanding. Jordan, what's your your mindset on a you know an eight to twelve week training camp when you know you're going to be in it? You know you're in the trenches. It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be horrible. You know what's your mindset? What's your approach to to that part of the the sport? Just keep turning up. Just keep turning up and keep doing what you're there to do. You know, at the end of the day, this is a job that I chose. This is you know I've put myself in this position. You know, sometimes I regret it, but you've made that choice now and it's too late. 
And, you know, <laughs> I, I always turn up, like Danny said, out of the eight years, you can probably count on one hand the amount of times that, you know, I've bailed on him. And, you know, there's probably been loads of times when I've had that much of a bad day. You wish I never turned up because I ruined everyone else's day as well. Um, <laughs> but that's all part of the process. And, and yeah, I think for me, just turning up, making sure, you know, I think sometimes you can, your alarm can go off and you're in bed and you think, oh, I'm proper done in today. I ain't got nothing left to give. But when you get up, you have a couple of coffees, you get in the gym, start loosening off. It's never as bad as you think. So sometimes when you get up, you feel great. It's worse than you think. So, you know, you just have to treat every day the same. Get in the gym, do what you're there to do. You know, you uh, um, you know, you have to look at the positives. You know it's going to be hard, but this is a choice that you made. You think I'm not out in the rain bricklaying or I'm not carrying scaffolding about um, doing something that I wouldn't enjoy. Um you know, personally, and I think that that helps as well. So, you know, I know at the end of that eight, 10, 12 weeks, however long it is, I know that there's a goal. The The end goal is to win the fight and progress in my career. And for me, that is so important. I know what it takes to, to win at that level. I know what it takes to get my body in condition to give myself the best chance of achieving that goal. And I know that I need to be a supreme athlete i need to be supremely fit i need to have more nutrition on point i need to get a good sleep i need to you know you know do everything possible you know sometimes in before i think about karma and i see a bit of litter on the floor and i put it in the bin all the way up to lead into the fight because i think i'm doing good things the good things are going to come and you know you just have to you know you just have to go go and do it and and i think for me turning up giving everything every day um is, is all i can do and that's controlling what i can control and you know everything else is out of my control whether my opponent pulls out whether the uh, promoters change the date of the fight whether you know, you get cut in sparring, whether your sparring partners pull out, whether, you know, you twist your ankle on a treadmill and you have to get on the bike. It is what it is. Just plow through, you know, mm. go through the trenches, tread through that, that heavy water, you know, go through the mud and get to the end goal because that's what's important. That's what's going to progress my career. That's what's going to put money in the bank. That's what's going to win the titles. I think what's interesting for me there is you talked about, you know, and in psychology we talk about process goals and outcome goals but also the kind of bigger like the bigger picture the why stuff why are you doing it and you kind of talked about all of that stuff then how much are you thinking about outcomes like how much are you motivated by you know the outcome of the fight and winning the fight you know versus how much are you motivated by you know those daily processes you know the kind of falling in love with the process and you know you talked about good karma and just kind of daily doing these things and that, that are kind of moving you towards that you know how, how, how much are you motivated by each of those things would you say i think probably equally motivated but at the same time the end result is what you're thinking about when you're doing the daily processes and that's why you're doing the daily processes so mm. um you know you you it's not the fact that you learn to fall in love with the daily process it's the fact that it has to be a lifestyle and um, you know you've been ingrained in the sport from such an early age to to get to a high level you have to be so committed and you have to be so um, resilient and so dedicated that 
it just becomes a lifestyle and it's just a part of your everyday routine. And so if you if you didn't love it, then you probably wouldn't be in that position anyway. So you have mm-hmm. to love it to do it because you'd have to be crazy to hate it and still do it because there's plenty of easy ways to make money. Um, so I think for me, the end goal is something that I frequently think of. It's something that replays in my head, me lifting my hand at the end of the fight, uh, me knocking out an opponent, me, you know, uh performing well is something that rolls through my head you know countless times every single day when i'm in training and that can be even when i've not got an opponent it can be you know how i'm thinking about you know the, the moves that i do inspiring there could be you know uh no opponent in the ring but when i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about the moves that i'm doing inspiring i'm, I'm thinking about pulling off you know things that people are going to be impressed by things that's going to look good and you know things that's going to make the comment commentators talk nice things about me instead of horrible things <laughs> so there's some like visualization going on there as well some imagining outcomes imagining successes um as part of that process danny you, you you've worked with um like a bunch of different boxers without naming names Talk to me about some of the different approaches. You know, Jordan's obviously highly committed. You know, you talked about commitment versus motivation before. Like, what are some of the different approaches that you've seen in terms of mindset during that that sort of 10, 12 weeks of just hard graft? Um, I think boxing is like a sport like no other. As in, like, they all come from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, sexes. Um, different ages, different experiences that they've had, different ways that they've got into the sport, whether it's the dad taking them to the gym or they've been a naughty kid at school or they've just started doing it for a laugh and, and then end up being quite good at it. So there's so many different things that, that you see in terms of like psychological processes, um, you know, the goals that they have, the things that make them tick. And I think like probably what, what I'd say on this point is, is that they have to have a, like a probably a solid eight or nine out of 10 across a load of different things in terms of discipline, in terms of confidence, in terms of being focused under hard conditions. And I think that that's probably one thing. And then like, you've got other people that do everything wrong in terms of their strength training, in terms of their, um, probably the sparring, um, the way that they live their life outside the ring, but they just have that ingrained mentality to go and have a fight. So I worked with an athlete that basically everything went wrong in training camp, but then they just went in and I was just like, this guy should be pulling out of the fight really, but he just like, he didn't care. And he just got in another 12 round war and he lost the fight, but I just sat back and just thought he's a little bit crazy, but the, like this guy has got unbelievable mentality when it comes to fighting, probably not when it comes to training and this following things that needs to be done. Yeah. But when it comes to fighting, he's not, not scared whatsoever. So it's hard to kind of encompass it into all one thing. But I think like the thing is with, with me and like, I'm thinking before going on to this podcast, how like an SNC coach can have a role in psychology for boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and a few different things. One, giving them the results in terms of their physical performance so they know that they're improving in terms of the process. So we're saying to talk about the process, we're talking about Jordan having confidence in how he's prepared for a fight. So we take numbers all the way through and every training session that we do at Boxing Science just keeps getting harder and harder and it feels like you're not getting anywhere. But when we compare them from the start of training camp or last year or three years and show the 10, 20, 30% changes, that can give them a lot of confidence going into this fight in the shape of your life. And you've got evidence to support that. And that yes. can help boost them up. And as so you're well... Provide, you're providing data, that, like it's hard data that is, is kind of... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hard data, hard evidence, knowing that and that athlete's got full confidence in their physical capabilities hmm. going into that ring. Another one is to put them through the trenches in terms of the hard training. You know, we do something called 30-second max-out sprints, which is 30 seconds flat out with three minutes recovery. And that takes you to a place where you don't want to go. So what you feel like kind of burning in your legs when you go out on a road run, this is like two mm. times, three times more than that. So it's a physically and psychologically tough session. It takes them to what we call a death zone. So, which is not ethically right, but that's, <laughs> but, it sounded, but it sounds good. Um, so when somebody goes into a fight and they start going through the gears and they have the confidence to put the shots together to increase that intensity to go to surf a little bit and try and get their opponent out there. They know that physical feeling of the legs being heavy, the arms being heavy, yeah. but having the confidence that and re- and being able to recognize that they can work through that. There's often fighters that go through that same situation and punch themselves out and they haven't experienced that before. So they feel like their arms are heavy, their legs are heavy, they don't know how to move the legs. They're thinking, oh no, I'm really gone now, rather than Jordan going back to the corner, recognizing he actually said what his blood lactate level was. He says, oh, good 17, 18 after that. He said that to me in the changing room after. So he yeah. recognized what that feeling was like. So he knew, right, I know what it is. I'll just have a bit of a break and then I'll go again. I know I told my shape. I know I'll, I'll just kind of keep a low tempo for the next minute, minute and a half, and then I'll recover later on. Whereas a lot of others people that other boxers that haven't gone through that might panic, mm-hmm. might think that they're totally gassed out for the rest of the fight. They might lose their shape, and that can end up end up losing them the fight. So there's a lot of different things that like that we do in training camp that has a physical kind of process and physical outcome. But also can have um, have like benefits to, towards psychological performance yeah. as well. Uh, that's really interesting for me. Um, like you say, there's obviously a physiological benefit and these you know, adaptation responses going on there. People are getting physically stronger and faster and fitter. But psychologically, there's a, a whole load of kind of bodily awareness. Yeah, uh, happening there as well. Um, Absolutely, and we did a a sit-down interview with Johnny Nelson about six years ago. Mm-hmm. He was talking about not going running with your headphones on and being f- focused during hard situations. And that's basically what boxing is because mm-hmm. when they're having a fight and they get 
two, three rounds in, the body feels like nothing, like nothing else, like that they ever kind of. Uh, it's hard to replicate that fight light scenario. So they've yeah. got to stay so focused when they're finding it physically tough. So that's what we do at the gym. We we allow music, you know, because it raises motivation. But we take them to a place where they've got to hit a certain number. They've got to focus on what they need to do whilst their body's wanting to basically stop, wanting to quit. One time, an athlete was doing a circuit. He had a world title fight in three weeks' time. So like that is like your last hard session. And I came in and they were like, oh, he's feeling a bit tired today, so we're going to only do three sets. And I just went, nah, you're doing five. He's got a world title fight in three weeks. It's time to go. And I got that that particular athlete through that session. And he just looked at me and he like nodded at me. Like because he like recognized that I got him through I got him through that tough session and that he needed it. And you've got to kind of weigh up sometimes you've got your sports science head, but also you've got your you're preparing somebody for for a fight head uh, at the same time. Yeah. Don't know what kind of head that is. Um but yeah, you've you've you know, you've got your sports science head that's saying, right, we want to have the most effective training response. But you've also got another side of you that this can be psychological ben- benefiting mm-hmm. this athlete going into a fight. Yeah, it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's fascinating for me. We, I did a, a, an episode of the podcast with uh, Dave Hembra and Nick Ward about bringing psychology into the, the training room, how strength and conditioning coaches can, can use and, and utilize some psychology. And it sounds like you've got a really big role in, or, or you know, it sounds like you've got a lot of awareness about how you can use your role as the, the S&C coach to really perhaps shape some of the, the, the psychology and the mindset of the boxers there. Jordan, you know, t- tell me a little bit about what that does for you. You know, Danny talked about going through that, that, that tough physical training, the, the, the kind of, bodily awareness that that gives you and knowing how you can respond in certain situations, knowing what your body's doing. What does that do for you psychologically going into a fight? I think it's a massive boost. I think, you know, it really helps you understand your body more and know what you're capable of, know when you're able to push and when you're uh, needing a little bit of a, a rest in a fight. Um, I think that, you know, it gives you a lot of confidence, you know, how well your training camp has gone, you know, for me is, is a massive confidence boost. Um, you know, there's, there's certain training camps where I know I've given everything. And if you go into that ring knowing that you couldn't have done any more, then, you know, there's, there's nothing else you can do when you're in the shape of your life and you're as fit as you possibly can be then all there's left to do is perform. And when you've done all the training required, there's there's only, you know, one man in, in front of you. So you've overcome all these obstacles um, in training. You know, you've inspired all these people that have come from all over the country to, and sometimes, you know, across, across you know, waters to, to spar with you. You've overcome all those guys and there's just one, the final boss there. And you've got a... <laughs> You've got to win that fight and, you know, it'll all be worth it. It'll all have paid off all that pain, all that, you know, hardship that you've put your body through and, you know, the the sleepless nights and, you know, the early mornings and the blood, sweat and tears, as they say, it'll all be worth it if you, if you beat the final boss. And that's the way that, that I see it. Do, do you think, 
you know, because you've both both talked about a number of different factors and the different approaches that maybe different people have. You know, if I if I say if I use the phrase fighter's mindset, do you think there's such a thing? Do you think there's such a thing that that kind of people who do this sport have in common? Or is it just totally different? Is it just individuals, different approaches, different mindsets? What's your take on that? For me, I think that as a rule of thumb, everyone has to have a little bit of dog in them, a little bit of you know grit. I think to get to a certain level in in boxing, especially, but most sports, you have to have a competitive edge, and you know. Uh, mentality which would make you feel pain if you didn't win or didn't perform well and I think that's probably common across you know most boxers I'd say that the mentality is probably very similar but different approaches on how how they approach the fight from a mental side um, and how they process their thoughts towards a fight and training are very different but with the same you know mindset but you danny any any thoughts on that i think that i agree with jordan in terms of like having that dog in them and uh i don't know how you say great determination um to get through that art and and the 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 willingness to to never quit now i'll tell you now we do a, 30, a test called the 30-15 test, which is 30 seconds on, 15 seconds off. We start at 8 kilometers an hour. We go up by 0.5 each time. And we say the world champion zone is between 22 and 24 kilometers an hour. So that's like literally just sprinting on the treadmill for 30 seconds. You get off for 15 seconds, and then you go again 30 seconds. Now, in that, te- in that test... The people that have performed the best on that test have been people that have achieved something in the sport in terms of world titles, European titles, Commonwealth titles, British titles. And it's not only the number that impresses me, the top level number, it's about like kind of how much they actually pushed it. So literally running until they can't do any more. There's so many times where I've seen athletes like that when they find it hard, they just step off and they go, can't do any more yeah. and just, and, 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 and just quit. Whereas like the, the top performers have gone and like literally thinking this treadmill is not going to beat me. And there's one, one athlete in particular that weren't that fit. And I could always guess or guesstimate what level they'd finish on depending on what their heart rate was at a certain level. Mm. So like as soon as they get up to like the red zone, so that's 90% maximum heart rate, they've got about five or six levels in them. So I go, oh yeah, they're, they're only going to make level 18. And then they end up making level 22, which is another eight levels beyond what I guess, just because they had that dogged determination to, yeah. to, to get through it. And I think that that is the the common factor that I've seen in the people that I've done the best in out of the sport, the people that I've trained, they've just got that willingness to keep going no matter what. 
Uh, tell you what, there's a research study in that. Is there, is there a correlation between how far people push on the uh, 3015 test and how They've successful got, their careers are? Someone get on it. <laughs> yeah. So this is the 80% Mental Podcast, and I'm here with Jordan, the Thrill Gill, and Danny, the Wilsonator Wilson. Uh, we've been talking about the psychology of boxing. That's your name now, Danny. I'm sorry. That's, that's, I regret uh, saying that now. Yeah, I'm regret it. forever. <laughs> um, we've been talking about the psychology of the fight and um, the fighter's mindset, and whether there's such a thing, uh, some of the different psychological challenges of the of the sport. Um we're talking about determination uh just then and jordan i want to i want to come back to your uh european title fight um your comeback victory that i mentioned right at the start and you and i have spoken about this before uh in, in, in different different places but tell me a little bit about that fight for the people who don't know you can go and kind of look it up on youtube but uh it was it was it was something pretty spectacular wasn't it yeah um for a spectator it was yeah, <laughs> yeah it was uh, not for you but <laughs> it was a fight that had you know a bit of everything you know there was ups and downs uh i started the fight a little bit sloppy i was getting caught a bit i started to get a little bit of success and then you know i, I went into the fight with you know certain injuries i had a, a knee injury that you know affected my stability and uh in my one of my spars before the fight I'd perforated my eardrum. So I ended up with two perforated eardrums in the fight. Um, I was knocked down. Uh, my balance was all over the shop. I was uh, DDT'd in an illegal wrestling move. And, you know, the opponent wasn't deducted any points or penalised at all. And, you know, because of my balance and because of everything that had gone on, I'd end up being on the ropes, just defending myself and trying to find a, a shot to to knock him out for maybe two or three rounds. And I finally got the shot um, when it looked like all hope had gone and people were calling for me to be pulled out and for, for the fight to be stopped. You know, I knocked him out with a big right hand. And yeah, it was a, a pretty spectacular, probably memorable light for a lot of people. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a fight that people talk to me a lot about. It's probably my most memorable night and my biggest achievement as well. So to, to win... A European title, which you know is only a step away from the world title, is in in spectacular fashion in a fight that everyone's going to remember. You know, is is a big moment in my career. Um, but at the same time, because I've got that mentality, it's never enough. I always want more. Yeah. So I mean, you know, you, you, we talked a little bit earlier about controlling the controllables, and you just said there that you know both before the fight, kind of everything that could go wrong, pretty much went wrong. Uh, during the fight, lots of stuff went wrong. So, you know, where, where do you find that? Where do you find that that determination uh, to just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going? Where does that come from? I guess it's either in you or not. I think everyone's the way they are for a reason. I think everybody's uh, experiences in life mold them into the person that they are. And I think I've always been brought up, you know, to be tough. Um, we don't moan. We don't whine we get on and you know we we get the job done and for me i've never had any quitting me i, I would stay until the job's done i don't, don't want to be pulled out of a fight i never always want to finish i always want even if i was gonna lose the fight i always wanted to finish the fight um and that's just you know a matter of pride i think 
I always thought, you know, there's no way this is guy. This guy's gonna beat me in, in my head. Even though I was on the ropes, I had one knee, I had a dodgy hand, I had two perforated eardrums. So I thought, oh, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. And it's like <laughs> that mentality when you're on that 30-15 treadmill. I was willing to lose all the skin on my shins to to not step off that treadmill. And yeah. you know, that's just, I'm I'm willing to bend my nose in all have my nose broken in 20 different places to win this fight. I'm, prepared to be ddt they're prepared to be knocked down i'm prepared to get back up i'm prepared to do anything to win this fight because you know that's my goal that's what i've worked towards for for 20 odd years and that's what you know the the challenge in front of me brings so for me i'll win at all costs and whatever it takes to get to the end goal i'll, I'll, I'll walk through through walls to do it i think that's one of the differences though isn't it with with this sport than other sports you 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 know, you just said there about being prepared to go to places where a lot of people wouldn't necessarily be prepared to go to in order to be successful. Yeah, I mean, a lot of boxers, they, they'll come out with the line, they're willing to die in the ring. Mm. And for most, you know, civilians, it, it may be sound stupid to them. Like, it's a sport. Why, why would you want to die? It's only boxing. And obviously nobody wants to die, but, you know, when you're in that mindset, a fighter's mindset, as you said, you know, you have to go into that ring, you know, anything can happen. You know that every fight is your last fight because you could be coming out in a wheelchair. You could, you know, it. you could have a career ending injury. You could, you know, get knocked out and not get another chance. You could, you know, anything can happen. So you have to be willing to die in the ring. Obviously it's not ideal, but, um, you got you got to be willing to do anything, whatever it takes to get the victory. What What are your thoughts here, Danny? You You think uh, that sort of attitude, that sort of mindset, can be shaped, developed, or you know, as Jordan seems to be saying, do you think it's something that you just either have got or you or you haven't got? I think there's a lot of psychological processes that can be improved and mm. um, and can be worked on, but that that kind of doggedness and that that willingness to never quit i think it's i think it's very hard to instill into some athletes because some athletes just like come from such a background where they're just like it's ingrained into them so like having a fight is like it comes as natural to them as us having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee mm. and they have that kind of I was listening to something the other day where I was saying about how important having a core belief is within the business. And I think having a core belief within a fighter and keep revisiting that is so important. Almost like if you keep revisiting that core belief of having that determination and having that never quit, never say die attitude, then you can keep on revisiting that. And that obviously needs to be instilled from an early age now. Yeah. This brings me on to, to to working with Jordan. Now, there's only been two times where I thought that Jordan might hit me with a right hand or a left up with the way that he's looked at me. One was in <laughs> one was in Chicago, and we were walking down the street, and I went, oh, I'm starving. And he looked at me. He's taking a phone And then he looked at me. And he went, you don't know the meaning of starving. But I thought, <laughs> uh, but I thought it was going to hit me. How mad he looked in his eyes because he was dieting for the for a fight in three weeks' time. And I'm, like, I'm never going to say that again. So if I, I, really well, I was starving, proper starving. Yeah, yeah, 
he was proper starving. Um, and then the other time is that he, on a back squat, he was in Fort Ventura in 2016, and um, it was I think he was squatting about 100 kilos, so that's pretty good for for the weight that he's at, and. He did. He was supposed to do two reps. He did two reps. He did it great, and then he did the third rep and I had to spot him. But we measure each speed, so we know whether an athlete has got another rep in them or not. And Jordan's speeds showed that he had another rep in him, but he just didn't get the technique quite right. But I turned round to him and said, "You bottled that," and he turned to me, and I thought he was going to hit me. It says, you what? I never bottle it. I never bottle it. So anyway, the next set, he had three reps. Uh, but then he would like beat his chest to the camera and said, never bottle it. <laughs> so that's been, that's been a running theme like in the sessions, never bottle mm-hmm. it. So he had his first fight on um, Sky Sports. He was against a, a very... Um, experience former Commonwealth fight, uh, champion Jason Cunningham who, who's now gone on to win British and European titles as well so it was really tough fight for Jordan like first 10 rounder and he dominated the fight and then the last round Jason Cunningham came out and they threw about it, he was throwing about 30-40 punches around and then in the last round he threw 160 punches he just went at Jordan like basically throwing the kitchen sink. And it was like what we call a suicide round where basically Jordan just went and had a war with him. And I got into the ring after and I went in for a photo and I just looked at Jordan. Jordan just went, never bottle it like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's actually a clip on, on, on TV where he says it to me and I just look at him just like, this guy's crazy. And then after, and then he said it again after the Kareem Gurphy fight, the European title fight. You know, he just walked off. Everyone's going mad, and he's shouting, "Never bottle it!" They shouted it at Eddie, and Eddie's probably thinking, <laughs> "What does that even mean?" <laughs> but, but but it's like a funny. It's a, but but it's like it's a it's a funny thing, and like we can like have, have a funny story about it. But that's his inner core belief that he keeps yeah. going to. So in that hard situation, he was never going to bottle it. We're never going to bottle it. And the, the main thing is, with, yeah, he had the determination to go through, but he did it with with brains. He did it with smarts. He, he was picking off shots. He didn't just like find a punch out of nowhere. He was setting up that shot for mm-hmm. two or three rounds. Um, one of the most impressive things of that fight is when he got DDT'd. So uh, those people that, uh, that don't know it, it's a famous wrestling move where basically Jordan had his full weight go onto the top of his head and it almost like not it should should have been knocked out from it, really. And also the guy should have been de- um, disqualified. Yeah, yeah. But within like five, six seconds, he was up and having to fight again. So it just been DDT, totally crazy situation. And the first shot that he did, he rolled a right hand and landed a left hook to the body. And I've watched that shot so many times. Like So many people watch the, the right hand that knocked out the guy. But I've watched that shot so many times because I just think like, you've just gone through the most kind of 
adverse situation in a boxing ring ever. And like, whenever someone like we're talking about, like most people, like if they get into a fight situation, they won't be able to think they'll see the red mist and they'll just start throwing bombs. And when people are in that last chance saloon in a boxing fight, that's what they mostly do. Whereas Jordan works on a very defensive and, and a counterpunch uh, tool there that had to have a lot of smarts and wit about him to be able to, let, uh, to land that. And then he took that same energy when he had to be basically in the corner for two or three rounds. And he's, he's being smart, he's making him punch, he's making him miss, he's keeping him at a certain like range to be able to set up that right hand. Yeah. You know, people call it a lucky punch. But if you go and watch that fight back, he was setting up that punch for two or three rounds. And, and the way the, the, the little things I was doing, like touching with a jab, stabbing with a jab downstairs, left up to the body, that's all to like kind of to land that right hand. Now, while we're going into the technical aspects behind that, it's because he was doing it under a very, very stressful situation yeah. where he perforated both eardrums, his knee went, he'd been knocked down, he'd been DDT'd his career is on the line. He had all that going into like basically that situation where he had to technically and tactically break this guy down and then ended up knocking him out with the right hand. Yeah. And I suppose that comes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, going through that real tough physical training, you know, going into the the, the death zone or, you know, mm. pushing yourself as, as, as far as you can. But having that body awareness during that, and being able to make decisions and to concentrate and to focus during that. It's not just kind of going hell for leather and just solve your problems with aggression. You know, yeah. it's really being able to understand and, 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 and concentrate and focus while going through that. So that training prepares you for that almost. Is that, is that fair to, to, to say? Yeah, it does. I think physically and mentally it prepares you, but also the experience of going through that before. Obviously, no one's going to go through that specific situation, sure. but going through fights because, you know, people look at fights and think, oh, you've got to be aggressive, you've got to be, you know, angry, you've got to throw the kitchen sink. But what they don't mm -hmm. understand is how fit you have to be and how you have to pace it because these fights are 12-round fights. It's 36 minutes of standing in front of somebody and having a scrap, you know, go on the bag for 36 minutes, see how long you last, throw in bombs. It's, it's a long time. So yeah. um, I think the pacing side of it is, you know, helps you control that that mind and and to be able to think clearly under threat and under fatigue and under huge pressure is is a skill and it's a skill that you learn with experience and i think you know sometimes when you get that good at it, i feel like i'm very good at, at keeping my cool in extreme circumstances and i think sometimes when you get to a level where you're that good at something it can ruin the rest of your life because you know <laughs> the uh, the level of you know adrenaline that i've can I've experienced that I feel like not many people in the world will have experienced that level of adrenaline when I'm standing standing at the end of a stage looking to go into a ring and my music's playing there's 20,000 people looking at me well solely on me and I'm about to have a fight with somebody that's you know been in world title fights or been world champion you know the buzz that you feel is electric and you know something that you you may never get again something that people may never experience so when you experience everyday things you know you don't really get up for much else because you know you, you your level of um adrenaline has been that high that you know everyday things that excite normal people don't really excite you which you know 
for example, at the weekend, me and my friend went and climbed Snowden. He, he said to me, that's amazing, wasn't it? That was really good. I say, it's only walking, mate. Like, and <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for me, you know, it's going to take a lot for me to get excited yeah. about things because, you know, that level of adrenaline, that, that, that peak that I've been at, um, it sort of ruins the rest of your life. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, it's a kind of a, a, a sort of funny story about climbing Snowden. But, you know, on a more serious note, what impact does that have? You know, do you feel a need to to replicate that? And I'm, you know, I assume uh, boxers who retire go through exactly what you've just talked about, trying to replicate that that adrenaline rush. I think so. I think it's a big problem. I think there should be a lot more aftercare for for retired boxers, and mm. you know, it's why you see so many people uh, finish boxing, start getting in pub fights, or you know, start turning to alcohol, start turning to drugs. You know looking for a thrill looking to have that adrenaline rush to have that dopamine hit that they've been desiring and something that they've been getting regularly from boxing they try and replace it with other things you know people might put on 10 stone after a career you know people like Nassim Hamad have, have yeah. gone a beast um from from superstardom you know out in the midst to to, to just probably eating himself into uh an early grave and you know, I think you see it time and time again with drug addiction, alcohol abuse, um, you know, people crushing fast cars because they want that adrenaline rush, you know. Just trying to replicate that. Uh, you that you try and replicate, you try and look for that rush, you know. Uh, there's there's every chance that after my career I'll look for it and try and do a skydive or, you know, try and, I'm going to try and do something illegal, though, not like everyone else. I was going to say, hopefully you do something a little bit more constructive, a little bit less destructive maybe. Um, Jordan, you just talked a little bit earlier about um, you know you kind of standing there ready to, to to walk into the ring. You know the lights are going, the, the the crowd's there. Talk to me a little bit about your your pre-fight routine. Usually, we try we try and keep it the way it is in the gym. Um, when I come into the gym, usually it's the same faces there. I don't have really you know all my mates in the change rooms like some people would think. Um, there's never. You know, there's always, you know, staff from the promoters or the TV that are there because they have to be there and you sort of shut them out. But, you know, we go into the gym, it's the same the same faces that I see on fight night. We go in, do the same routine, do our mobility like we do before training, put our hand wraps on, um, you know, warm up on the pads, which is something that we do in training. So it's, it's sort of very similar to, to replicate the the training into into the fight night but obviously there's extra pressures from you know you know this is the moment that you've been waiting for you know that this is what it's all the build up all those hard sessions are for um so you 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 just keeping your cool you going through the fight in your head um you, you know you've prepared well you know that you've done everything asked of you so you know you've you've left no stone unturned so you sort of talking yourself through that and Talking, talking your way through the first round, thinking, go out, establish your jab, uh, move to your left or move to your right. You know, you're going through your tactics in your head, but try not to overcomplicate things and try not to to get too anxious about it and just go out and, and be yourself and express yourself in, in the way that you've been practicing to do. 
I love that, you know, so much in there from a psychological perspective, you know, trying to keep everything the same from, you know, preparation and, and being in the gym to being on fight night. There's a little bit of imagery again, you know, that sort of mental rehearsal of, 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 of kind of almost planning out what your approach is going to be in the first round. Uh, there's going to be anxiety management stuff there as well. It's like fascinating. Danny, what's your role in this as well? Because I know that you're involved in, um, uh, in some of the, the, the pre-fight stuff as well with some of the boxers that you work with. Yeah, I don't do much in terms of like kind of psychological and motivational something yeah. like that. It's more just kind of keeping that routine, doing the mobility. Um, one of my main uh, jobs is to bring the speaker. So, um, <laughs> I, in fact, I was going down to Birmingham the other week and I was like, I probably about 10 miles down the road and I forgot the speaker. So I turned back to go, to, to go, to, to go again because I'm thinking that is my only job to, to bring the speaker yeah. i get the playlist set up for, for each fighter so jordan likes a bit of motown a bit of michael jackson a bit of funky stuff nice. um it's what he plays in the gym so that's what he wants to play before before the fight yeah. just like kind of taking any any kind of out of thoughts away from what he needs to focus on so it don't need to be focusing about what music's on that's mm. covered you yeah. don't need to be thinking about what he needs to do for the warm up, even if he does it every session. I still coach them through it, right? This exercise next, this exercise next. So he doesn't have to think about what exercise is having to go next. He doesn't have to think about anything but what he has to do in the fight. Yeah. Um, so you're basically you're reducing that kind of cognitive load, basically. Yeah. You, you yeah, know. absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'll know. I'll know what they need at certain times, so they'll have. Carbohydrate gel just before they go on the pads. Before they go and make the ring walk, they'll have the caffeine gum. So I've got all that prepared. I know exactly what's happening. So giving away all our secrets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just taking like any kind of like say cognitive load away away from them yeah. and to make sure that everything everything flows and nothing really goes wrong in, in that pre fight warm up. And then just like on the day of the fight or a couple of days before the fight. It's just being chilled out, relax. Um, I often take the the mick out myself instead of taking the mick out of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I might have a have a joke and a laugh. I become a bit of a butt of the jokes a little bit, but that's uh, kind of make sure that there is a bit of jovial atmosphere there. I often take the like on Jordan's fight week. It's, it's often Jordan's dad or his, his good mate Paddy that mm-hmm. we we have a laugh with. Um, trying to take some of that tension away from yeah from yeah make, make it we, we always have we always have a good laugh on fight week and then after the fight we'll have some Mars bar flapjack that Jordan's mum makes <laughs> so it's like a little bit of a little bit of a routine yeah yeah what um what, what's your ring walk music Jordan or does it change uh, well it changes every fight now but for okay. quite a lot of fights I had Michael Jackson thriller you know to go with my name but you know when all the documentaries come out sky sports put a ban on <laughs> put, put a ban on on thriller so all mj tracks actually so yeah you know yeah, i usually have yeah. something a little bit funky something a little bit motown sometimes you know what have i had before uh hold on i'm hold on i'm coming um i've had a bit of sam and dave you know li- yeah, all sorts say yeah. okay, uh, so nice about that uh, that yeah that time when um they got your ring walk music wrong, Jordan. Yeah, that was embarrassing, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So I told them to um, 
do Michael Jackson Thriller and I didn't specifically say the radio edit. So they got like the the twelve minute version from the the vinyl, and uh, it was just I had tweets after the fight saying, "Is Jordan Gill coming out to the sound of crickets?" It was it was shocking. It was just the sound of crickets and like creaking for about two minutes before the music come on. I ended up just having to walk in pretty much silence. It was it was shocking. What would uh, what what would yours be, Danny? Um, I've Arctic thought about monkeys. this. There's lots of stuff. I like I like a bit of Arctic Monkeys for Oasis. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether they're allowed to swear on this podcast, but there's uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah Oasis. Um, fucking in the bushes, which is a class tune. What they walk out to, and what is played um in snatch for the right. for the bare knuckle boxing fight. Uh, so yeah, that's that's always been probably a tune that stands out to me for. A ring walk, but I often think like uh, if there's a big crowd there, having something that they can all sing along to or something. <laughs> With fan support for you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is 80% Mental and I'm here with Jordan Gill and Danny Wilson. I hope that you lot out there are enjoying this episode. Uh, don't forget to share it on social media. Give us a follow on Twitter at EPM Podcast uh, or on Instagram at 80% Mental or better still, go to 80percentmental.com to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any more award-winning content like this. Um, Danny, Jordan, uh, I... I've started doing this thing in this podcast where I feel like the listeners need to kind of get to know the uh, the guests a little bit a little bit better. So we've talked about your boxing career, we've talked about your uh, boxing science and, and your support and strength and conditioning. But um, I've got a little game that I want to play. If you're up for it, and I've got I've got four different envelopes with four different sets of questions in them. Uh, there's uh, deep and meaningful. There's have you ever, either or, or the last time. Um, are you up for playing this game with me? Go for it. This could be dangerous. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, I'll take that as a yes, Danny. All right, so the first thing I need you to do <laughs> is to pick a um, uh, a number between one and four, and we'll select the envelope and find out which set of questions we've got. Four. Jordan's gone with four. Are you happy with that? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Uh, I'll go number one. Well, well you got you got to agree on a, on a. Oh <laughs> right! Oh right! I thought we picked. So I didn't one explain each. that very well. Oh go on. Yeah, Jordan picks number four. We've got. Uh, have you ever? Oh no! Yeah, we have. We've got. Have you ever? Right. Right. So, uh, quick fire. Don't take too long to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll ask you both. We'll start off with. Um, okay. I, have you Have you ever stolen anything from work? Yes. Yeah. I've got R. Fallon University in this gym. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know whether to ask you that one, that one Danny. Oh, only a few tape measures. We're all right. A few tape measures, all right. Well, the, te- the technician's office is going to come down looking, <laughs> uh, after me. Elaine will be there hanging on the door. In the <laughs> Give us a few tape measures. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, what about you? What have you? Uh, can I ask what you stole? Yeah, so. Um, when you're on the undercards of the fights, not in title fights, you get given a set of gloves, but you have to give them back to the promoters. 
So <laughs> a lot of the time when I'm in a six rounder or an eight rounder, a bit earlier on in my career, when you weren't allowed to keep the gloves, I used to put them in my bag and nip off to McDonald's and <laughs> try and forget about <laughs> trying to avoid them at all costs. Get a free pair of gloves. All right, next one. Uh, have you ever sung in public? Yes. Yeah. Um, me and Danny both have on my stag do. Um, okay. I chose 50 Cent P-I-M-P, which is a, a big mistake. <laughs> I was only thinking about the chorus. <laughs> There's yeah, actually that... quite a lot of, of, of fast rapping in between. <laughs> yeah. you got a, a new appreciation for rapping skills. Yeah, I don't did. choose rap when you're doing karaoke. Danny, what's yeah. your karaoke choice? Gangster's Paradise. Okay. <laughs> where I did end up um, forgetting the words and then just said a loads of expletives. <laughs> but um, I was at 18th birthday party and it was at a cricket pavilion, so it was very long and thin. And yeah. all my mates were at the bar at the back, but all the like grandparents of the kids were at the front <laughs> of the karaoke. <laughs> and I was just like, I had to stay there for another like two minutes and just style it out. It was... It, embarrassing but i reckon Amazing. i could give a good crack at it now yeah <laughs> <laughs> um have you ever uh used a fake name most times when i go to starbucks yeah yeah when um when they thought we were australian in chicago yeah we went to uh the starbucks on the, on the way to the gym uh when we were training in chicago um and every day we used to go in so the first day we went in ordered a coffee like normal uh, the second day we went in, it was like, hey, Kim, the Australian guys are back. And <laughs> so from then on, we were just putting on the most ridiculous Australian <laughs> accents. Uh, can, I, can I have a cappuccino, please? <laughs> Great. That's pretty good, actually. Thank you. Have, you. have you ever eaten a snack in your bag that you're not sure how long it had been there for? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I knew Probably. you would have. Um, Probably the other day, but it's kind of subconscious. Probably I've, I've probably done it before, but I'm thinking about the most recent one. It's where I've just ate a Cheerio on the floor. My 40 month old daughter is obsessed <laughs> with Cheerios and she just comes out with a box of Cheerios and she's just eating one Cheerio at a time. And I was cleaning up the other day and there was this one Cheerio on the floor. And I just I just put it in my mouth and I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm not, I'm not addicted to like having a snack. Yeah, so she, I know I know where she gets it from. Just random, <laughs> random eating one Cheerio at a time. Honestly, I am. Um, I, I promised myself when my daughter was born that I wouldn't be the sort of parent that you know, like when you see parents who finish their kids' food off. So if oh, kid, yeah. like, has an ice cream and like doesn't finish it, I was like, that's disgusting. Yeah, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna finish that. That's, that's yeah. gross. Uh, I, I, I lasted about three years. Yeah, it's just like Hoover up everything. Oh, it's impossible. Hoover it up everything. Impossible. <laughs> um. Have you ever have you ever given somebody a fake number? No, I probably haven't. Yeah, you, yeah, you probably. Them, them awkward people that come up and try and tell you something in the street, <laughs> just say, "Oh yeah, I'm interested," and be really polite, and then just give them a fake number when you when you're actually not interested. Um, and last last one then. Uh, have you ever have you ever pretended that you liked a meal that someone cooked for you? Yes, yeah. my girlfriend yeah. made a carbonara once, and uh, it was just scrambled egg and pasta basically with a bit of bacon in it and uh, I said it's great this is this is the best thing you've ever made <laughs> egg and pasta I mean, is she still your girlfriend yes yeah. does she know that you didn't actually like it uh she does now yeah
All right. Well, that was the um, the game that I still haven't thought of a good name for. Uh, thanks for thanks for playing. It's been a pleasure. All right. So look, look, I want to thank you both so much for your for your time uh, this evening. I've just got a couple of a couple of final questions before we wrap things up, if that's all right. Um, Danny, I'm going to come to you first for this. Um, you know. I, I don't know, you know, you said boxing science is, is nine years old. It's going to be nine years old. Obviously, you've worked in SNC for a lot longer than that. Um, what What's your, you might need to take a little bit of time to think about this, but if you were going to drop one knowledge bomb on our listeners from your time working in SNC, working in boxing, what would that be? I think... I'm thinking of two things. Probably one of the main skills that I think that I've got is having the awareness and self-awareness of actions, of um, other people's situations, um, strengths and areas for improvement as well. And also having to deal with difficult situations. Now, I've been in like a lot of training camps where things have gone wrong, and then the outcome has gone wrong as well. But the them things that have gone wrong in training camp weren't dealt with. So you've always got to kind of grasp that situation. So my granddad always used to say, grasp the nettle. Like the nettle is going to hurt you anyway, whether you kind of touch it or feel it or take a minute or a, an hour. So all that nettle is going to hurt anyway. Mm-hmm. So you might as well get hold of it and get it done. So... You have to you have to deal with difficult situations head on, and that's probably like and being in a sport like boxing. There's so many of these different situations that arise. Whether it's somebody that looks like they're not going to make weight, or they're injured, or they're um, skipping sessions, or they they're not quite hitting the numbers what's what's needed. You know, there's things that you can do six weeks out that can rectify that situation rather than mm-hmm. it being unraveling and unraveling in, into a fight where there's no going back and there's a massive setback into that, that person's career. Yeah. And there's been, there's been loads of situations where things have happened towards the back end of training camp and in the fight when really I think like when I actually look back, actually that could have been avoided if we did something six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, whatever. And that's kind of what I've learned over the years. And that's kind of how I approach situations now. Yeah. So um, some athletes that I work with now probably think I'm a, a bit of a stickler for for um, detail. But that's because I'm dealing with things up front rather mm-hmm. than waiting till fight night and waiting for it to all unravel there. So yeah. I guess sometimes that can mean having some difficult conversations. Yeah, difficult conversations. you got to have them and difficult situations and you've got to overcome them. So grass the nettle. That's the that's the phrase. Grass the nettle. I like it. Um Jordan then last word to you. If you if you think I guess over the last couple of years, what would you say you've learned about yourself? Um maybe about your own mental approach to the sport or or maybe even just in life in general. You know, what have your experiences taught you about yourself over the last sort of, I don't know, maybe two, three years? It's a very good question. Um, it's I think sometimes I've had a little bit of time away from the sport and 
um, been waiting for a fight date. You know, a lot of the time I've been ready, I've been training, but then there's been spells where, you know, I've had time out of the gym and, you know, it does make you appreciate what you do. Um, it makes you appreciate the sport that you're in and, and enjoying it um, because it's never going to, it's not going to last forever. You know, there's a, a time span on your boxing career because you can't go on boxing until you're 40 or 50 years old. Um, you know, you, every, every boxer's got a prime. And I think for me, what I've learned about myself is you, you see the best of me when you're in, when I'm enjoying it. And if you don't enjoy something, don't do it. And I think sometimes when you're younger you feel pressured into doing certain things or pressured into you feel like you should you know be doing certain things or doing certain things in a certain way and it can suck the enjoyment out of it and I think if you're doing something that's natural to you and something that that does come natural something that's been ingrained in you and something that is you know part of your life it should come naturally and to to take the enjoyment out of that makes it unnatural and i think for me that's what i've learned about myself how brent was that danny very brent <laughs> thank you <laughs> oh brilliant brilliant mate no it's fantastic and again it's such an important message i guess because a lot of people spend so much of their lives and so much of their time doing things that that they really don't enjoy and, you know so to to hear from you that like finding that enjoyment and, and kind of finding the joy in what you're doing is such an important part of it i think it's really uh an important message to to to, to get across um again i just want to thank you so much both of you for your for your time uh on the podcast uh this evening um so i guess all that's left for me to do is kind of wrap it up and say jordan gill thank you so much for your for your time really appreciate it Thank you very much. And Danny Wilson, uh, thank you as well for taking the time out this evening to uh, to come speak to us. Cheers, Pete. Really enjoyed that. Brilliant. Awesome. Well, I hope you lot out there in listener land enjoyed the episode as well. Uh, do make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, but do visit the website as well, 80percentmetal.com, or follow us on social media. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode uh, or on any of the other fantastic conversations that I've had this series. And uh, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts would be uh, super smashing and great. So if you've got a couple of minutes, go and maybe do that now if you want. Uh, anyway, uh, more to come this series, but thanks once again to Danny Wilson and to Jordan Gill for coming on the 80% Mental Podcast. And I will see you next time. I won't, I won't see you though, will I? Because it's a podcast. <laughs>